Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And the word of the Lord says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Just a handful of announcements, and then we'll jump into God's holy word together. Uh, this Wednesday is our business meeting. Um, we will eat dinner beforehand, and then we'll gather in here for our business meeting. So please uh, plan for that. Uh, and then, uh, it's crazy, but there's only really two more Sundays till Easter Sunday, which is like, wow, it's crazy to think. Um, and the weather here, I, I'm ready for spring. Anyone else ready for spring? Like, good gravy. Like, maybe, like, Easter will usher in spring. Uh, it's not feeling that way yet, but hopefully so. Um, but because of that, on uh, the 15th of April, we do have a Good Friday service. That's at 6.30. So Friday, uh, the 15th at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, we will have a Good Friday service. The following day, we'll have an Easter festival at um, 12 to 3. Uh, both in the fellowship hall, and then we'll have some games outside. So make and mark your calendars uh, this Wednesday for our business meeting, uh, Good Friday service at 6.30 on the 15th, and an Easter festival the following day, the 16th at 12 to 3, and then the fo- that Sunday will be uh, Easter Sunday. So let me pray for us, and then we will um, dive into God's word uh, this morning. Let's quiet our hearts before the Lord first. God, I pray in these still moments that we would hear from you as you quiet our hearts. I pray that as our hearts are quieted, that we would receive your word this morning. Your word would fall on good soil and produce a hundredfold what you would desire for us. I'm so grateful for your kindness, your goodness, your mercies to us, how you shower them upon us each and every day. And so often, I know in my own life, I take your mercies for granted. I take your mercies um, as just something I ought to get uh, rather than a blessing from you. And I pray that would be true uh, for us again this morning, that we would receive your mercies fresh and new this morning. I pray that you would lead us and guide us as the Apostle Paul says, that we'd humble ourselves before your mighty hand. We'd offer our lives as a living and holy sacrifice to be conformed into your good and pleasing will. Therefore, we could be obedient to you to do your will. Lead us this morning. Guide us this morning. I do pray uh, for us as we begin to get ready for uh, Easter, that you would begin to start, stir our hearts um, for uh, what that means, what Easter means, the power of the resurrection, the power that you had over sin. And because of that, we can have life and life to the full. I pray that would be true for us. 
And as we've been doing for months now, God, I pray that we would uh, beg you uh, for a youth pastor, that you would open doors uh, for us and doors for men, that we would converge, um, that you would bring the right person to us, that you'd prepare us for them and them for us. I pray for us, uh, our team, uh, the committee this afternoon as we interview someone, I pray that you would give us uh, just insight, you'd give us questions, um, and you would be with that gentleman as well, that this would, uh, again, we would please you in all that we do say and think. So now, God, we come to your word. It is given to us by you. It's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible. Uh, it's your perfect word for our sinful hearts. And so I pray that it would cleanse us and make us more like Jesus. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. I know we, uh, Jared, just read to us Matthew chapter 28. We'll be there this morning, but I want you to first turn to uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. If you've been with us these last several weeks, we've really been looking uh, at this verse as I've been picking it apart. You may not know that is where most of this series came from was out of this verse. We've really been looking at what are we as humans? Who are we as humans? Remember the very first sermon we, we talked about we're all made in the image of God. We call that the Imago Dei, that each of us have God's handprint in our lives. We are created like him, each believer and unbeliever. And we talked about how every person on the planet God made to be in relationship with him, with ourselves, and with one another. And yet because we live in this fallen, broken world, because of a fallen, broken world, we were distracted and uh, disintegrated in our relationships. And our goal is to move back into full living with God, ourselves, and one another. And this morning, as I conclude this sermon series, I, I want to remind us of this passage. And I want to remind us of as we really truly understand who we are. And it's going to put us on mission with God to go and seek and save that which is lost. That was Christ's ultimate mission was that he would come and he would be the perfect example of God himself to redeem people back to himself to give them salvation. So I, I want to look at that this morning. I want to call us to be on mission with God, but I want to look at this passage first. So Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40. This is what Jesus says. This is right before Jesus is going to be betrayed. This is before Jesus is going to go to the cross. And the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to find a way to manipulate Jesus to kill him, uh, basically. And so they put Jesus to the test. You see that throughout Matthew's gospel. But he, this is what it says in verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They gathered together to come up with this plan to trick Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So it wasn't out of a desire to know. It wasn't out of a desire to uh, really learn. It was a desire to trick Jesus in order to kill Jesus. And this is what he says in 36. He says, teacher... Which of these is the greatest commandment of the law? The Old Testament is full of laws, uh, 633 to be exact. And so 
this Pharisee is saying to Jesus, out of all the Old Testament, out of all the laws of the Old Testament, hey, what's the most important one? And Jesus, this is what, I love children because children are amazing. Uh, Cedar, when I read these passages to him, he, he calls Jesus Sneaky Jesus. That's what he calls him, Sneaky Jesus. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, he just kind of sneaks around and like tricks people is what, is what Cedar says. And he would say, Jesus is being sneaky here. And he says this in response to what is the greatest commandment of the law. He says, he answered, he answered them from Deuteronomy. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. But then he doesn't stop there. He says in the second, it's just like it or equal to it. He says the second is this, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commands depend, depend all the law and the prophets. And so what Jesus says is this, that we're to love God. And that's what we've been looking at through the first part of this series. We got to love God. And the question I have for you, the question I have for me first and foremost is, do you love God? Not do you know God, but do you love God? There's a lot of things I know that I don't love. But do I really love God with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength? Is the core of who I am, it does it love God. And then Jesus says this, the second is just like it. Now, oftentimes we come to this passage and we think there's two commandments in this passage, love God and love others. But if you look at the passage, and my grandmother was an English lady, she would have said, you've got to take the whole sentence for what it says. There's really three commandments within these two commandments because he then says the second is just like it what love others the way what you love yourself so Jesus says you got to love God first and out of loving God then you'll what you'll love yourself and then out of loving yourself you'll be able to love other people but how often do we go from loving God to loving others and we skip loving ourselves that's what we've been talking about this whole series is how do we love God and in loving God do we lo really love ourselves? And I would ask you this morning, do you love yourself? Think of your self-talk. Anyone else have that like self-talk? I'm the only one. Anyone else in the room when they make a mistake, they call themselves an idiot? That's what I'm talking about? Okay, everyone's like hands are going up. Think about that self-talk. Is that loving yourself? You would never want anyone to talk to your children the way you talk to yourself. But how often do we talk to ourselves that way? And what Jesus is saying is this. Do you love yourself? Because if you don't love yourself, you won't be able to love other people. Or the way that you love yourself is the same way you'll love other people. So if you think you're an idiot, stupid, whatever word you call yourself, somehow that's going to leak out onto other people. So we got to rewind and say first, do you love God? And do you understand how God created you? Uniquely, 
and in his image, God would never look at you and call you an idiot. But yet, how often do we call ourselves that? What Paul says in Ephesians is this, that when God looks at you, he looks at you like his masterpiece. The, the literal word in Ephesians is this idea of a poem. That you are God's poem. That he loves. And I'd ask us first this morning, do we love ourselves the way that God loves us? Because if we don't, we won't have a love for the world. It's like this. Anyone ever been on a plane before? What did they tell you on a plane? Jump. Now, I, I've never been on, I'm not getting on any plane that anyone's telling me to jump. Oh, yeah, yeah you, you used to be a paratrooper. You definitely heard jump. I'm not getting on that plane, Rob. No thanks. I want a seatbelt. You just distracted me. <laughs> jump. I hate heights. I'm sweating even more. When you get on a plane, you sit down. They tell you what? If in a in case of emergency, what do they say? Put the mask on yourself first before you put it on other people. Because what they're saying to you is you're of no use or no value to anyone else unless you take care of yourself first. But how often in the Christian life are we trying to put the mask on everyone else first? May we put the mask on ourselves first. The mask that we're putting on ourselves first is to love God and to love ourselves. Then we can love other people. So I'd ask you, I'd ask me, I'd ask the church, do we love ourselves this way? Here's what one writer says, because we're going to move into missions. Oftentimes we think that missions is the goal of the church you know that's not the goal of the church the goal of the church is not missions the goal of the church is worship this is what one writer says he says missions is not the ultimate ultimate goal of the church worship is missions exist because worship does not He says, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. So worship is the fuel and goal of mission. So I'd say to us first, do we worship God? Because if we worship God, then we'll what? We'll be on mission with God to seek and save that which is lost. And so we have to ask ourselves first this question as a church. Do we love God? Do we worship God? Because if that is not true in here, we will never take this message of a loving God to a lost world. And so we must evaluate ourselves. Are we in a lack of missions really because of a lack of worship? Are we in lack of reaching lost people because of a lack of worship to God? So do we see and understand 
who God is, because that's going to move us in to now the greatest commission or the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. That's the first one is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, love God, love yourself, love other people, loving God, loving yourself will move us into mission with God. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. We see in this passage, it must be true for all of us this morning. If we're going to be on mission with God, we must have these five things in our life. It says, now the 11 disciples, 11 because Judas had already killed himself after he had betrayed Jesus, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see five things in this text that must be true for us. If we're going to be on mission with God as we worship God, the first is this. We have to ask ourselves, are we available to be used by God? What is your availability to be used by God? It says this, remember what the disciples had just seen. It's somewhere in between the 40 days of his resurrection and his ascension. And so in these 40 days, these disciples have been told and instructed by God uh, about some things. And so they've got to be available to God. They must be available. It says this in the very first chapter, or very first verse that we're looking at is this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now circle that in your Bible. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. At some point in the life of Jesus, we know from Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus had promised them that he would die, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again. And in that chapter, 26, he says to them, after I'm dead, after I'm buried, and after I am rise again, I will go before you to where? Galilee. So he had already told them, hey, this is what it's going to look like. This is what's going to happen to me. And after these things, I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going to go before you. Now, they had to believe and trust that he really was going to die, to be buried, and to rise again and go to Galilee. And so after he is dead, is buried, and rises again, where do we see the disciples? In Galilee. Somewhere between chapter 26 and 28, they believed that Christ was really who he said he was, and he was going to do some stuff for them. They said, hey, wherever that Jesus is, I want to be there. I want to be available to him and for him. My question to you this morning, to me this morning is this. Are we available to be used by God? You see, those disciples could have been doing 101 other things. They could have been so distracted. They could have been so hopeless. They, they were getting as far away from Jesus as possible. But they believed and they wanted to be available to be used by God. It's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6 after he sees the holiness of God. Remember that God brings him into heaven, into the throne room. And he sees God sitting on his throne and he sees the angels worshiping God and 
he says, this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord. And this is what the Lord said. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do you know Isaiah's answer? Here I am, send me. That question is still being asked to every believer on the planet. The same question that was asked in Isaiah chapter 6 is being asked to us by God. Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Remember in Romans chapter 10, Paul says it the same way. How blessed are those feet that bring the good news of the gospel. Is our response, oh, I'm busy? Is our response what we see Jesus and when Jesus calls some disciples, they say, hey, I've got to go bury my father. I've got to go take care of the cattle. Or is our response, no, I'm available. Here I am. Send me. So the first question I ask to us this morning, in light of all that God's taught us these several weeks, is are we available to be used by him to go and seek that which is lost? How available are you in your schedule, your time, your talents, your energies to be used by God? The second one is this, after availability, let's look at verse 17 and 18. It said, when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him and doubted him. And Jesus came and said to them, the second is this, do you worship God? We have to be available, but we also have to worship God. The question I would ask you, I look at the text and the text makes it clear, is that they had to have some experience with Jesus. That when they saw Jesus, they fell on their face and worshipped him. That's what the word worship means, is to lay out before God. When's the last time that you've truly laid out before the Lord in an act of worship? Have you seen and experienced Jesus? Because here's what's going to come next. If you're available for Jesus and you worship Jesus, then you'll obey Jesus. God's not asking us to, for obedience first. God's asking us to worship Him first. You see, obedience doesn't flow into worship. Worship flows in to obedience. Like, if I worship God, then I'm going to obey Him. Because I'm going to love Him. If I love Him, then I want to do what He's called me to do. God isn't going to try to twist our arm in obedience. God is going to reveal Himself to us in the person of Jesus. And in revealing the person of Jesus to us, it ought to push us to our face to worship Him. And then out of worship, we'll say, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I will serve you in any capacity. Obedience flows from worship, not the other way around. But I love that the verse doesn't stop there. It doesn't just say that they worshipped him. It also says this. But some doubted. Thank God there's room for doubt. Amen? 
like that, those few words give me so much hope because in my life, I would say I'm available to God. I would say there's moments that I worship God. But there's moments in my life that I really doubt who I worship. Am I the only one? Like, and I read that this week, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Those three words are in the text. The writer of Matthew could have left that out. But I think he left that in there for us to be reminded, oh, man, it's okay to doubt. It is okay for us to have doubt in the resurrection. But look what happens right after the doubt. It says that some worshiped, some doubted, and then it says these few words in verse 18. And yet even in their worship and even in their doubting, Jesus came to them. Jesus didn't call them to him, but he went to them in their doubting. How often do we think in our doubting, we've got to go to Jesus? Just go to Jesus in your doubting. The promise is no, in your doubting, Jesus will come right to you. And so wherever you're at in your journey with the Lord, if you're doubting, know the promise is this. Jesus is going to show up for you. Jesus is going to reveal himself so real to you that you don't have to doubt anymore. Amen? Like, remember doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas said, I'm not going to trust in this Jesus unless I do what? Unless I put my hands in his, unless I put my fingers in his hand and my hand in his side. And where did Jesus show up? Right in front of Thomas. Thomas didn't have to go look for Jesus. Jesus went right to Thomas and said, okay, Thomas, if what you need is to put your fingers in my hands and your hand in my side, I'm all yours. Doubt away. And what does, it, what does Thomas do? Thomas puts his hands in his side, his fingers in his hands, like, oh, I, I no longer doubt. So even in your doubting, bring your doubts to Jesus, and Jesus will meet you in your doubt. So whatever you doubt this morning, bring it to Jesus. I would say this because it's part of the passage. I hope I don't sound like a heretic. I think sometimes our greatest act of worship is our doubting. Because it's what's most truthful about us. And so if you're doubting, maybe that is your act of worship this morning. It's not the doubting part. It's the bringing the doubt to Jesus that's the act of worship. So whatever you doubt this morning, lay it at his feet as an act of worship before him. Because once we're available, once we worship, then we'll do what he says next. In verse 18, he says this, And Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. The next thing that we see is Jesus reveals who he is. Now, it's, in, it's not explicit in the text. It's implicit in the text. What Jesus is saying is, if I have all the authority and all the authority has been given to me, then our act of worship will be what? Submission. We only submit to those who have authority. I don't submit to Cedar. He's got no authority. I mean, if you ever see me submit to Cedar, just backslap me. Like, that would be ridiculous. That's my seven-year-old son. If everyone, who's like Cedar? 
It's not my boss. It's my seven-year-old son. Like, if, if you see me submitting to him, we got problems. Like, if Cedar's like, hey, I'm done with the whole, like, dinner thing and all I want is ice cream, I'm like, that's a great idea, man. Like, I don't submit to him because I have the authority. Therefore, he needs to submit to me. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, the reason you submit to me is because God, my Father, has given me all the authority. It's what the centurion says. I see you, Jesus, as a man under authority, and I am a man under authority. And what he's saying is, I understand that something else has given you the authority that you have, therefore I'll submit to you. Which I would say this, if you're not submitting to Jesus, you have a lack of faith and trust, not in Jesus, but in God himself. Because God himself is the one who has placed the authority onto Jesus. Therefore, if you don't trust and submit to Jesus, you aren't trusting and submitting to God. That's a problem. So who do you submit to this morning? What is your availability? What is your worship? What is your submission? Because out of submission will then flow what I said a few moments ago, obedience. He's saying he sets himself up because I have all the authority Then obey me because I have the authority in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Abiding is obedience. Do we abide in the word of the Lord? Because the next things that he offers us, we cannot do. If we don't submit ourselves to the Lord and act in obedience to the Lord, then the next three things that he says in this passage we'll never be able to do, we won't want to do, and we ultimately can't do. Because he says, if you're going to be my disciple then you have to do these three things. You have to go and make disciples, you have to baptize them, and you have to teach them. So in our obedience, based on our submission, based on our worship, based on our availability, are we obedient to God to go? God doesn't call unbelievers to us. God calls us to go to unbelievers. Do we go out of obedience and submission and worship to God. And as we go, do we baptize them or do we make disciples? Not converts. It does not say go and make converts. You know there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. A convert is simply just someone that admits their faults, recognizes Jesus as Savior and Lord, and surrenders to Him. That's not what Jesus is calling us to make. What Jesus is calling us to make are converts who are disciples. Disciples are fully devoted followers of Jesus. I think the church has made a mistake of we think we need to make converts. No, the church is called to make disciples. Because if we're called to make converts, then the power of converting someone is on us. The power to convert someone is on Jesus and Jesus alone. And then Jesus says, once I've converted them, 
I want you to make them disciples. I want you to teach them what I have taught you. And I think it's easier for us to think we can make converts than disciples because disciple-making takes way more time, energy, and effort than converts. Do you know that? It's way easier for me to say, hey, pray a prayer, now you're converted, than for me to say, hey, I want to make you a disciple. That takes a lot of time, energy, and effort. A lot of time. It's easier for me to say, hey, pray this prayer and get converted, than it is, hey, let me now teach you all that God has taught me. My fear when I was preparing for this is this. It's when he goes into, and he says, go and make disciples. And how are we to make disciples? We are to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. We cannot teach what we do not know. I was debating whether to say this. I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to say this, so I'm going to say it. I'd rather be in trouble with him than you. Just saying Right? I wish that I could make every single person in this room teach Sunday school at least one time once a year. People are like, oh, I'm not a teacher. Well, that's not an excuse. Because Jesus says clearly here in Matthew 28 that all of us, if you're a believer, are, you ought to teach. Now, if I had my way, I'll say it again. I wish, if you were a member of Powell's Chapel and you are a believer, I wish it wasn't just a handful of people doing all the teaching. Because here's what I know, and I know this in my own life. When I go to prepare teaching, I learn way more for me than I do for you. I, I don't sit up here for you. Like, I sit up here for me. If I didn't have this position as your pastor, as your preacher, I would spend just as much time studying God's Word. And I promise this, I'd find some way, somehow, to go teach it. Now, God in His sovereignty and His grace and His goodness lets me be a preacher. Because I'd crawl out of my skin if I wasn't a preacher. Just telling you. You cut me, I'm, I've cut preaching. But my wish and my goal for all of us as believers, you may not be a teacher, but you're called to teach. And I promise this, if you go and you prepare for one Sunday school, I promise this, you'll get way more out of it for you than you're going to give to anyone else. Ask any of the teachers here. And I think so often we think, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm going to get into the last part. Because where does teaching flow from? And this is what we have to believe. If our obedience to God causes us to go, baptize, and teach, then we got to hone in on the last verse. It says, teach them all that I've commanded you to teach. And here's the promise of the passage. This is where all of it hinges from. My availability hinges on this, my worship hinges on this, my submission hinges on this, and my obedience hinges on this. He says, and behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. So what that tells me, what that tells us, the church, is the power of obedience isn't in me. It comes from without, from Jesus. I have the power to obey because of him. I have the power to teach because of him. I don't come and just sit up here intellectually, though I could do that. My hope is this. It's what the Apostle Paul says. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you ever want to know what my Sunday mornings, uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, excuse me. If you want an insight on what Sunday mornings look for me when I wake up, it looks like this. This is my thought, my prayer. Every Sunday morning is this. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty words or wisdom. What Paul's saying is, I didn't come using my brain. I could come with lofty words and with man wisdom. That's easy. He says this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I want you to know every Sunday morning I sit in this pulpit. You might think, what? With a lot of weakness, a whole lot of fear. And with much trembling. And I'll get to the reason for those things in a moment. In my speech, in my message, were not of plausible words. Some of you are like, amen, those are not plausible words, Todd. Of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Whose power? Not mine. But the promise that Jesus made to me in Matthew chapter 28. That every time I stand in this pulpit, I don't stand alone. I stand with Jesus. And Jesus gives me the power to, pre to present a message. So that what? He goes on to say, it's not my power, it's not my words, it's not my wisdom. Why? Because it was left up to me. This is what Paul says, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but what? In the power of God. And so for all of us, let us be like Paul and be reminded that we're called to teach. We're called to obey. We're called to make disciples. And I promise this, when you go make disciples, you ought to have fear. You ought to tremble. You ought to beg God that it would not rest on you, but it would rest on him. You see, what Paul is saying in that is, I don't want any dependence on me. I want all of my dependence on who? Him. You see, I would hope and pray this would be said of me. That I'm not a good teacher because I study, though I do. I'm not a good teacher because I went to school for it. I pray that people would say, 
and he comes in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. You ever been around someone? You're like, man, that dude has been with Jesus. Anyone ever been around that kind of person? That, that's, if anyone would ever say when I die, that would be the greatest compliment that anyone could ever be given to me, that he spent time with Jesus. So it's not my power. It's not my plausibility. But it's in demonstration of the power of God, and that goes back to Matthew chapter 28. And that's why I beg that you would live in obedience and be reminded it's the power of God that will flow in you and then through you as you teach God's word. That's my prayer for Rob, Tracy, Lauren, Miss Eleanor, all of our teachers, Miss Patty, Miss Jerry, is that, man, today when they get up to present your word to your people, that your power would flow through them and they would be reminded that you're with them this morning. And that those who sit under their teaching would not see them, but they would see you, Jesus, in them. And that would be my prayer for anyone. But my prayer for everyone is that you would begin to teach. And that you wouldn't be in fear and trepidation because you can't do it. The truth is, no, you can't do it. No, I can't do it. Or Christ can and will do it to me because it's his power, not my power. And it's his promise that he's put on to me. So I ask you these five things in closing. As we've gone through this series, the first is this. Do you know who you are and do you know your great need for God? That's the first. This whole series has been about, God, I want to know me so I can know you. And I want to know you so I can know me. How well do you love yourself? How well do you love God? The next one is this. Do you still know that there's unbelievers that need the message of the gospel? And do you know that you and I are the primary instrument God wants to use to seek and save that which is lost? And then this, how available are you to be used by God? What does your daily life of worship look like? How submitted are you to Christ as Savior and Lord? Do you abide in his word in an act of obedience, believing in his power to be used by him? Let me pray for us.